Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When Maddie and I first came up with the idea for this podcast, I had no idea where to start. What platform should I host it on? How do I get us listed or track my statistics? And that's where Buzzsprout came in. Buzzsprout is the trusted host for over 100,000 podcasters, and it was easy to see why. With their directory integrations, it was simple to ensure content being published on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. From day one, I've been so impressed with how easy it was to get set up, and their customer support team has been so quick at getting back to me whenever I had a question or needed help. Not only that, but being able to get a comprehensive list of statistics on our show performance has been a fascinating read. If you're interested in starting a podcast of your own or making the switch to a new provider, please click the link on our show notes and get a $20 Amazon gift card when you sign up for a paid plan. Bonus, by clicking on our unique URL, you help support our show, which means we'll love you forever. So why not get started today? We did and couldn't be happier. Buzzsprout, the best way to launch a professional podcast. Do it. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? I am not very far in my first cup of coffee. I'm drinking coffee too. I don't mind these early morning podcast recordings, but at the same time, they hurt a little bit. They hurt a little bit, but I find (laughs) that the content ends up being funnier because we're so out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Our filters aren't heaven installed fully. Yes. You're welcome, internet. You're welcome, people. (laughs) So I felt a little bad that the last like five episodes have been like really sad, dark and depressing. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, you're right. Especially the last one. Yeah, because of death, murder, Mercember, Mm -hmm. which you guys asked for. So, I mean, it's it's a little on you guys. (laughs) It's such a a parent comment, (laughs) isn't it? Like, Yeah. So as I mentioned... This is a funnier topic. Awesome. So this week, we're going to be discussing unicorn horns. There is lore on just the horns? Yes. I can't say I'm surprised, but I am a little bit. Like, that you found enough lore. Yep. To make (laughs) an episode. Yep. Wow. Okay. So unicorn horns. Let's do it. All right. Information was pulled from the following sources, a 2019 history article by Hadley Mirez, a 2018 Ancient Origins article by Ashley Cowie, a 2018 Atlas Obscura article by Anne Eubank, a 2018 Mental Floss article by Emma Jacobs, a 2012 Hypothesis article by Chelsea Clark, 2010 On the Tudor Trail article by Natalie, 
and a 2004 Pharmaceutical Journal article by William Jackson. Pharmaceuticals, huh? Yep. All right. Now you got me. Yep. I have hooked you. All right. Does it cure diabetes? (laughs) (laughs) Should I be searching for unicorns right now? Right. When when you don't have a functioning pancreas, find a unicorn horn. (laughs) And stab your pancreas with the unicorn horn. Stab all the white blood cells messing with your eyelet cells. Pew, 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 pew. Links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. So from the Middle Ages well into the Renaissance, the greatest treasures of royalty, nobility, and even the church weren't money or riches like we'd assume. No, no. The greatest treasure that anyone could own would be a horn. A unicorn horn. Even better than the Holy Grail? Even better than the Holy Grail. Wow. Shots fired at Christian. Sorry, Christians. <laughs> the Crusaders are like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold up. So many of my friends died and all you wanted was a unicorn horn? <laughs> Turns out that that's, that's the actual. That's the actual grail. That's the vessel. That's the grail. In fact, several nobility claimed to own one of these prized and priceless possessions, from Charles VI of France, who reigned as King of France for 42 years, from 1380 to 1422, to Lorenzo de' Medici, the Duke of Urbino, who ruled Florence, Italy for 23 years, from 1469 to 1492. Also, Pope Clement VII presented a horn mounted in solid gold to King Francis I of France in 1533, Ivan the Terrible reportedly had a staff made of unicorn horn, and King Philip II of Spain, who ruled from 1556 to 1598, supposedly had 12. He needed one for every day of the week and then some. Right. He needed to make sure, just in case he needed his horns polished. Just in case one broke or something. few on hand. The Pope... The Pope yep. presented a gold-plated horn. Yep. One of the most famous owners of a supposed unicorn horn was Queen Elizabeth I, who owned a fully intact horn that she used as a scepter. I'm not surprised. So the horns were that big, or was it mounted? It was that big, yeah. We'll go into it. Okay, I, I'm just like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> All these modern-day unicorns have, like, penis-sized so they're on average five and a half inches long. <laughs> Not nearly as majestic when you put it into terms of penis size. <laughs> it's mystical. <laughs> and it's kind of funny when you think of like, I have 12 of them. <laughs> like, okay, guy. <laughs> Jeez. Slow your roll. <laughs> right. Wow. So it was big enough to be a scepter. Wow. Okay. Gifted to her by English privateer Martin Frobisher, who found the horn in northern Canada on July 22, 1577, while looking for the fabled Northwest Passage to the Arctic Ocean. It became known as the Horn of Windsor and part of the Crown Jewels. Do they still have it? I think so. That's incredible. I think it's at the Tower of London. Anne Boleyn's ghost uses it. Now I'm wishing I would have paid more attention when I was there. Yeah, right? If I could turn back there, <laughs> if I could find a way. She'd be like, that's a unicorn horn. <laughs> hey, guys. Did you know? 
I doubt they say it's a unicorn horn. I bet that would be really embarrassing for the crown now. I don't know. Now I'm kind of curious. Genuine Canadian unicorn. (laughs) The Habsburg royal family made a scepter covered in gemstones out of a unicorn husk. And King Christian V of Denmark, who ruled from 1670 to 1699, sat on a throne of unicorn horns in the late 1600s during coronations. Wow. That sounds like it would be uncomfortable. I mean, I would imagine so, but that's just me. Just sitting on a bunch of horns, horn husks covered in gems. So unicorn horns were valued at 10 times higher than gold or around $500,000 today. Jeez. Like just a starter husk? Just a starter husk. (laughs) It was said that they cost as much as a castle or even a city. I mean, that makes sense if you believe in its magical properties. Mm -hmm. In fact, the horn that belonged to Henry IV, King of France in 1553, was valued at 20,000 pounds or 12,156,630 pounds today. Yeah, just a couple bucks. Just chump change, really. Just a few. It's fine. Unicorns aren't a new concept that grew out of England. The earliest description of one can be found from 400 BCE by Greek historian Theseus, who described it as a large, agile animal with a white body, dark red head, and a long horn on its forehead. So it had dark red hair. On its head, yes. So it was different than the butt hair? Apparently. The tail? Butt hair? <laughs> the butt hair. <laughs> you mean its tail? <laughs> you know the butt hair of the animal. No. <laughs> the back hair of a horse. The butt hair. <laughs> There's no name for it. The tail. Oh my god. This is why we record in the morning. <laughs> It's believed that the animal in question was actually an Indian wild ass that had a horn growing from its forehead. Oh, bummer. (laughs) That was probably like a total fluke. And it was like, no, I don't want it. Maybe. Maybe it was like, try to mess with me, dudes. And then they were like, we're going to because you look cool. And he's like, oh, shit. I'm about to get dismurdered. (laughs) (laughs) It's also mentioned in the Old Testament with the term Arak, which is an extinct species of cattle. Pliny the Elder wrote a rather terrifying interpretation of the mythical creature <laughs> in the first century CE that reads as follows, quote, The fiercest animal, and it is said that it is impossible to capture one alive. It has the body of a horse, the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, and a single black horn three feet long in the middle of its forehead. End quote. That poor thing had the worst neck problems. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, it must have had to have, like, a thick, like, pro wrestler neck, like John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes straight down from the ears. <laughs> it didn't survive because it kept dragging its horn and getting caught on roots and stuff. Three feet? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Had a toddler-sized horn. And it had a boar tail, so it had like a little baby tail. Mm-hmm. Little baby butt hair. <laughs> butt hair. So that's butt hair. That's not a tail. <laughs> it's so small. <laughs> wow. They talked about unicorns in the Bible. Yep. 
So as fascinating as this all is, right? I'm sure you're wondering why we're talking about unicorns on a true crime podcast. <laughs> well, with the three feet horn, was there murder? <laughs> <laughs> In addition to being extremely rare, unicorns served a secondary purpose of being able to defend against disease and detect poison. Hence their pricelessness during a time when it was easier than you would think to poison someone. The horn was used to detect poison? Yes. Okay. I was just like, are they just feeding these poor unicorns these <laughs> poisonous meals and that's why they're extinct now? Eat this. Oh, yep, guess it's poison. poison. Let's get the scepter. <laughs> How did it sleep? Oh my God. I'm just trying to think of like a three foot horn. Because you don't know how thick it is, do you? Is it pretty thin? Like the horns that we kind of are imagining today? It was pretty thin. Maybe like... Was it kind of like a spear almost? I think at its widest point, it was more like three, maybe five inches in diameter. And then it would thin out? Yeah, and then it thinned out at the tip. Mm. Like a pencil. Good, <laughs> Good save. That's <laughs> just... Still, that's probably so much weight. Because if you're thinking of like horns, made of like calcium, like yeah, bone. Would you eat the marrow of the horn? Did the horn have marrow? Nope. I'll go into it. Yeah. So it wasn't uncommon to be stung or bitten by something poisonous. Eat poisonous berries, roots, or herbs, or quote unquote, be cursed by a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy berries. <laughs> Danger berries. Physicians of the day would often list poison as the cause of an ailment if they couldn't determine what the cause was. Right. Is it cancer or is it poison? We don't know. <laughs> poison. Bye. So remember what I mentioned Tezius earlier? Yeah. In addition to noting how the creature appeared, he also documented the healing properties of the horn. Okay. And they are as follows. Quote, those who drink out of these horns, made into drinking vessels, are not subject, they say, to convulsions or to the holy disease, which was epilepsy. Okay. Indeed, they are immune even to poisons if, either before or after swallowing such, they drink wine, water, or anything else from these beakers. End quote. So if they drink anything from the vessel, it's not only like, it won't just cure what ails you, but it like won't taint anything. Right. So it's like a Purifier, essentially. Yep. A magical purifier. Magical Brita filter. Right. <laughs> Please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> A couple centuries later, the Greek philosopher Philostratus noted that, quote, the Indians, because they thought at this time they were assuming it was an Indian ass. Yes. So they think it came from India. Got it. So the Indians from India make drinking cups from this horn which have such virtue that the man who drinks from one will for one whole day neither fall ill nor feel pain if wounded, nor be burned by passing through fire, nor even be affected by poisons, which he could not swallow at any other time without harm. End quote. I feel really bad for the people that were testing this. <laughs> so drink from this horn and right. walk through this wall of fire. Right. Like, I'm just going to push you in this fire. unicorn <laughs> 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 horn. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Right. That'd be an episode of Mythbusters I'd like to watch. <laughs> Drinking a bunch of arsenic and stuff in the horn. I'm firing. 
Fast forward to the 12th century, where a German nun named Hildegard of Bingen proposed a paste of powdered unicorn liver and egg yolk as a cure for leprosy. But as a sort of safeguard, she also noted that it wouldn't work if, quote, the leper in question happens to be one whom death is determined to have, or else one whom God does not wish to be cured, end quote. So like super leprosy. So like, yeah, if you have super like, leprosy, this won't help you. <laughs> right. So they've had it for a really, really, really long time and there's yeah. no way they can recover from it. Like if you literally have limbs missing from leprosy, this isn't going to fix you. Right. It's it will regrow your limbs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was unicorn horn liver. It was unicorn liver. So they would like take the liver from a unicorn. Okay. Oh. I love how they also added an egg yolk just because. You know, to help it taste better, I guess. For color. (laughs) (laughs) For color. When they rub it on your skin and your limbs come back, they turn a beautiful shade of yellow. Well, it's like how they use, what is it, egg yolk or egg whites in like the flu shot, flu vaccines. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's like amniotic fluid, kind of. Maybe. Gross. Sort of. I know. Get your vaccines, kids. (laughs) It's like scrambled eggs for your body. Right. Holidays. They're just straight injecting hollandaise sauce into your body. All vaccines are spicy hollandaise. Unicorns were typically depicted near bodies of water, such as rivers, lakes, springs, and fountains, with the conception that creatures and people alike would wait to drink until the unicorn was done purifying it. Hmm. Either that or they were just, like, chronically thirsty. Maybe. Could you imagine? Like, those, these poor, like, Indian asses are just, like, super dehydrated all the time from carrying around this giant ass horn (laughs) that's why they're always by water so it wasn't just the horn and the organs that had curative properties apparently of course not let's use the whole thing it's eyeballs make blind people see (laughs) (laughs) now you can see magic The hide could also be used for boots and belts and were encouraged as a form of protection against our favorite outbreak here at Yield Crime, the plague. Nice. See, that's what we need. We we need to find out if there's any DNA left of (laughs) the ass and clone it and then... um, Make face masks. (laughs) Weaponize its hides. (laughs) Great. Perfect. The belief in its healing abilities seems to stem from the horn itself. As I noted before, also called an alicorn, the unicorn has often been associated with purity, whether that's literally, such as the belief that unicorns could only be approached by female virgins, or figuratively, as noted by its white coat and supposed connection to Jesus with the horn as a crude symbol of the cross. How terrifying would that be? Like, say... Say the unicorn existed and it was just like a regular horn and then Jesus died and suddenly it had like a cross symbol at the edge of each horn. He's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That's why the Pope used it so much. I have a hard enough time as it is. I'm like, I don't even have to redesign this. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> so obviously we all know that unicorns aren't real. <laughs> I mean, maybe they were and we just killed all of them so that being said what the heck were they using yeah some horns came from rhinoceros or tusks from fossilized mammoths but probably to no one's surprise 
the most common place that these magical horns came from were narwhals. <laughs> right. Because those existed too, right? Yep. Man. These animals were hunted in the North Atlantic by Vikings with the tusks sold to traders who most likely had no idea what a narwhal was. They're like, a unicorn! (laughs) And they assumed they were now in possession of a real unicorn horn. The first noted account of this trade taking place was all the way back in 1000 AD. That would make more sense the Canadian unicorn is a narwhal. Yep. Now I'm just picturing a narwhal fighting a moose. (laughs) Right. (laughs) How about you? (laughs) This is my, like, step, step, step. (laughs) Come at me, bro. The horn could be used in a myriad of ways. Once powdered, it could be used in a poultice to treat dog and snake bites and other external wounds. Okay. If consumed in a tincture, it could treat the plague, gout, childhood epilepsy, strengthen your heart, cure headaches, prevent pestilence, and treat measles, smallpox, and rubella. So a narwhal horn was the original vaccine? Yes. See, that's all we need to do. So we just need to bring back narwhals. <laughs> and then uh, COVID-19 uh, is going to be shaking in its boot. Like, ah, you guys figured it out. <laughs> narwhals. Oh, no. And then they'll be defeated like every 90s supervillain and like a Ninja Turtle show. I'm pretty sure narwhals are still real. Yeah. Just like take one and leave the others alone. <laughs> yeah, leave the others alone. <laughs> for, for the next plague. Early apothecaries listed unicorn horn in a variety of potions they prepared, one of which known as eau de licorne, which was water purified by the use of a unicorn horn as a type of stirring rod, or by pouring the water through a hollowed out section of the horn. This drink was marketed as having health benefits and sold widely. I bet. That's that's like, um, just the title though. It just reminds me of like, J'adore Dior. (laughs) (laughs) Unicorn water. Become irresistible to men who already want to marry you as a child. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe they'd advertise it as a repellent instead. <laughs> Repel old dudes. <laughs> Except for the rich ones. Those ones are probably okay. Funnily enough, even though a whole horn was worth a literal fortune, powdered unicorn horn was like its cheap cousin. That makes sense. They could have they could have replaced that powder with anything, truly. It's flour. <laughs> Sorry, you're not gonna be cured from the plague. <laughs> this was primarily due to the fact that it was so easy to forge, substituting the miracle ingredient with items such as horse hooves, mammoth fossils, elephant or walrus tusks, and other horns, such as those from a rhinoceros. Man, they really messed up our chances of ever seeing a mammoth, huh? Yeah. Well, they were all just fossils. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. They're like, like, let's eat it. <laughs> like, I don't, this goes really well with wine. <laughs> because frauds like this were so prevalent, tests were done routinely to verify the authenticity of the ingredient. That makes sense. One test was to present the horn or powdered version to a spider or scorpion, because apparently authentic unicorn horns repelled and killed such evil creatures. Got it. That's kind of hilarious. Like... Mm. Instead of what, what do they do? Like um, peppermint mothball, like peppermint cotton balls to repel mm-hmm. spiders. Yep. You just like put unicorn powder and they're like, not the unicorn powder. <laughs> no. Wild again. <laughs> These flies will live. 
Now we're going to go back to the royals, who are the ones most likely to have a unicorn horn. Yeah. I have a really, really, really good dupe. Yep. So we're going to go into how exactly they would use these to test for poison. Okay. So during meals, a horn would be present, and fragments of horn could also be used. And these fragments were called touches. That's what the French called them. Okay. And they would use these to dip into plates of food to detect toxins, or they would touch the food. Okay. I really did not write this well. (laughs) Instead of being inserted into the food, the horns could also be hung or mounted from precious metals. Of course. Yep. French nobility used utensils made from alicorn, while other European monarchs tended to have the horn integrated with their jewelry, such as amulets. Okay. Like, let me just dip my amulet in this soup real quick. (laughs) Dip, 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 just like a tea bag. The idea was that the horn would alert upon contact with poison by sweating beads of moisture, changing color, or steaming. Ooh, steaming. Mm-hmm. It's a really, like, intense reaction to poison mm-hmm. or any sort of chemical. Yep. Goblets were also fashioned from unicorn horn with the belief that they would shatter if a contaminated drink was poured into it. Well, that's just a bad business model. <laughs> I'd be like another one God, do we have any of those left Unicorn <laughs> in the 16th century Mary Stuart Queen of Scots had a piece of unicorn's horn from France that she used to test her food for poison unfortunately for her it didn't keep her from developing rheumatic gout and dropsy later in life Ouch. or save her from being beheaded by Queen Elizabeth I in 1587 Sorry, I just pictured her like drinking from the unicorn horn real quick, and then she gets like a horn like substance around her neck. (laughs) (laughs) So she has like a super neck that can't be cut. Safe. (laughs) It's like one of those frilly collars, only it's unicorn horn. You may take my dignity, but you cannot take my neck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm innocent. And even though some medical scholars of the time expressed skepticism, there were others who swore by the healing power of the alicorn. Of course. An example would be the Italian scholar Andrea Bacci, who wrote of an event that took place in 1573, in which a man ate a poisoned cherry, but was miraculously saved after drinking wine infused with unicorn horn. He also detailed an experiment where two pigeons were fed arsenic. Those poor pigeons. I know. They're like, thanks for the food, guys. (laughs) One was given scrapings of unicorn horn, recovered, and lived, while the other died within two hours of being fed the arsenic. Man, two hours is so long to die from poison. Mm -hmm. Poor pigeon. That's like the only time I'll ever say that. (laughs) Pigeons are rats with wings. Pigeons are just the worst. (laughs) Once the 17th century rolled around, the legend of the unicorn started to unravel. Travelers from Europe to the Arctic began to see for themselves living narwhals and brought back tales of the creature. And it also didn't help that no one could verify seeing a living unicorn anywhere. Right. The final nail in the coffin for the legend of the unicorn came in July of 1661, when a group of men from the Royal Society created a test for the horn. They created a circle of powdered unicorn horn and placed a spider in the middle to see what would happen. If you remember from earlier... Spiders and scorpions are supposed to be repelled by unicorn horn. Absolutely. 
So imagine their surprise when the spider immediately scurried across the powder to run away, and each time they put the spider back in the middle of the circle, it did the same thing. Well, like, I'm just surprised that they weren't so enamored. Like, aren't not narwhals just as, like, freaky and mystical? Like, it's a freaking whale with a horn. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. But they're not white. They're not super pure. They're in the water. Gross. They're in like, the water. Fish. Gross. So even though unicorn horns aren't real, narwhal tusks do have certain magical qualities. The tusks themselves actually aren't as hard as an actual tusk, such as one from a walrus. Okay. The tusk itself has a soft core on the outside which allows it to bend one foot in either direction without breaking. Out. Mm. They also have 10 million nerve endings that can detect even the slightest change in temperature, pressure, and saline levels. This is a saltwater. Abort, abort. (laughs) This part is too fresh. (laughs) So knowing that, it is possible that they could have detected poison Right. I wouldn't go so far as to say they could treat everything else they were supposed to be able to treat. Yeah. We could try it, though. Yep. And that is the funny and interesting story of unicorn horns. Crazy. Man. <laughs> it's just a narwhal. It's like, what? <laughs> Even still, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> You're still hunting a bunch of narwhals? That's crazy. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you haunting and horrific reveries about missing people and senseless murders. I also interview survivors and people seeking justice for themselves or a loved one. New episodes come out every Monday morning, and sometimes you'll get bonus episodes on Thursdays. Wherever you're listening to this current podcast right now, you can find Reverie True Crime. So this week's podcast plug is the Reverie True Crime podcast, which is hosted by our friend Paige. Mm -hmm. She goes through pretty horrific crimes and eerie <laughs> events in history. So if you like this murder. <laughs> yeah, so there a lot of them are more recent cases. Paige is awesome. She's been one of our biggest supporters since we kind of started our podcast. Mm-hmm. And she's still one of our biggest supporters today. So if you really like true crime and learning about more recent cases in a lot more detail, she includes parts of like interviews, 911 calls, all that kind of stuff. She does a lot of research. So if that's your jam and you like listening to it from um, a sassy Southern lady. Always a bonus. Always a bonus. You should check out Reverie and we will include a link to her podcast in the show notes. So this week's question is from Cindy of the Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know we've been asked this one in the past, but I don't mind answering it every once in a while. What has been your favorite episode thus far? Oh, my favorite episode is the animal crimes. Bull weevils getting an eviction notice and pigs being put on trial. France was weird. Like most of it was in France. 
very few words anywhere else, which is kind of funny. But that was, that's my favorite episode to date. It was just fun to record and fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. What about you? I have to think. We've done a lot. Yeah, because this is our 33rd episode. Bananas. I think one of my favorite ones recently, since we've been asked this question, is the one about um, the Great Hinkley Fire. Yeah, that was a really good one. Because, I mean, I've heard of Hinkley. I didn't really know much about the fire because we weren't really raised. We didn't grow up in Minnesota. Yeah. But that's crazy. Yeah. It was pretty bananas. An insane day. Yeah. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, thanks. Do you have something good you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, So this week I moved my stuff and my pets uh, to my parents' house where I will be staying for a little bit while I work from home to save some money for some medical stuff that's coming up for me. And I hired these movers and they were so, so awesome. Like super polite, grab my stuff. I had some Ikea like furniture and they mentioned before they're like, just so you know, like Ikea furniture is not meant to be moved, which makes sense. Cause it's like mostly particle board, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So, um, they, all of my stuff came intact and everybody seems to be acclimating pretty well. Willie's confused. My dog, he thinks we're just going to be going home today. So I think he'll be really surprised. Well, we don't, but yeah, I think that's my good thing. I'm, I'm here, I'm settling in and um, now I just have to clean, which is kind of my favorite part. So <laughs> yeah. How about you? Earlier this week, I recorded our first um, mini episode, which we'll be re- releasing twice a month. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it's, I think I mentioned it last week. But they're going to be really short episodes, like under 30 minutes, where we interview fellow podcasters and ask them if they can decode certain slang terms from the Victorian era. Yeah. I haven't told you yet what the segment's called. Are you ready? Yes. Can you crack the cramp word? Cute. I like it. Cramp word is um, code. like an obscure word. Nice. So I thought it was very fitting. Absolutely. So that episode will actually be coming out this Saturday, the week that this drops. So it'll be every other week. And yeah, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Me too. That'll be awesome. It'll be funny. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions. We're running a little low on questions. We'll probably be done with them in a few weeks. So mm-hmm. if there's a burning question you want to ask us. Oh my gosh. Send so it in. <laughs> send it in. A great way to support the show if you want to help us out but can't financially is to leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts 
And this week, I'm going to be reading a review from Katie Girl from the Apple Podcasts. And she says, love it. Five stars. True crime is amazing, but true crime from a way, way back when is even more amazing. This is a fantastic podcast for all things old true crime. Great stories and interesting conversations. No. Thank you. See, it can be really simple. It, mm-hmm. You can only, you don't have to put a lot. Just let people know you like us. Yeah. Um, if you would like to support us financially, we're on Buy Me a Coffee. We have a goal this year to raise $500 so we can purchase new audio equipment since we're doing more stuff and we want to make sure that the quality of the audio is really good. I've priced out some stuff that's recommended for podcasters that we could use to really up our game. So awesome. If you could help us out with that, if you're so inclined and able to do so, that would be awesome. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. We've started a new tier this year to make it a little bit more affordable. So you could still get early ad free access to the episodes every week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you do higher tiers, you get more benefits. But if you really just want to get ad free content early, that's the easiest way to do it. You can also support us by purchasing merch on our Tee Public. And this week, so by the time this episode drops, we will have new Willie merch available in yeah. honor of his birthday. He's turning the big zero six. And once again, uh, proceeds from this sale will be donated to Can Do Canines. So, yay! You're purchasing merch, and the money is going to a good cause. Mm-hmm. And it'll be really cute this time too. Not like it wasn't cute last time, but like is is still pretty cute. Yep, and this will it won't be the same design as last time. It'll be a completely new design. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 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 yeah. On that note, as always, I'm Lindsay, and I'm Maddie, and we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>